0: Hello, folks. This is David opposing the Matrix, and uh, we have our our uh, guest, uh, the esteemed Ralph Epperson. How's that, Ralph? <laughs> oh, <that's true>. I'll <laughs> the pay esteemed Ralph later. Epperson. Historian extraordinaire. Wow, I'm, I'm getting good at this stuff. So anyway, Ralph, we're here again, you and I, and we're, we're talking about different things. And I believe tonight we're going to talk about uh, Vietnam's heroin, uh, how the... Um, <laughs> Chinese have made trillions of dollars through Vietnam's heroin. Brilliant. All right, Vietnam's heroin, China's source of trillions of dollars. Here we go. And we are live, and we're doing good, Ralph. All right, a two-hour condensed, uh, a two-hour condes- condensation. Excuse me, a four hours of America's uh, Vietnam. Varikas betrayal and trees in 1964 to 1975. All right. Oh, Vladimir Lenin, communist dictator of Russia. Yes, he was. Okay. What do we got here? As long as capitalism and sociali- socialism exist. Um, we cannot exist in peace in the end a funeral dirge will be sung over either the soviet communists or over world capitalism all right the chinese communists are leninists as well as marx lenin and
1: mao So in other words, this is one of those banners they hang up, and they've got Lenin right smack dab in the middle, which means they're out to destroy American capitalism as well.
0: Right. Okay. The Chinese communists share the same goal as does Lenin. The destruction of capitalism. I did not include all the pictures in the four-hour DVD. I would suggest that you should watch the entire DVD uh, was that okay because there's additional information in there. I want to start this presentation with a letter I received from Mr. Now Luke Kueh a uh, member of the Hmong tribe in Burma, a neighboring nation in Vietnam.
1: Okay. I've worked with I the Hmong
0: people. It. They're neat people. Okay. Yeah.
1: I now have the letter in my hands. All right. Uh, just, just, you don't have to read this, but notice it's all about the Hmong tribe, and there's what he says. Now, mm. you probably can't read that, so I will have might have to do it for you. Yeah, you but might
0: this, have to do That I was a little too small. Yeah.
1: This is him over there. See oh, that? look
0: at that. Uh-huh,
1: yeah. It looks like he's an officer in the Hmong tribe. And then uh-huh. over here on this side, there's a list of all of these men who are, uh, or maybe men and women, who are, are a part of the Hmong council. So let's read what it says. Once you see what he wrote, you will see why what it contains is important. Okay. Apparently Hmong people were also, oh, I gotta read the letter, forgive me. Sure. Okay, I, Mao Day, whatever his name is, let me get my. I, Mao, I have been watching your Vietnam, America's betrayal and treason, meaning the, the four-hour DVD. I would right. like to have your DVD to let all of my Hmong people see and hear the true story why we're in America today, meaning why they're fled, they left their country to come to America. I had been searching for this true story for 36 years. Wow. Here's a man that fought a war, but didn't know why for 36 years. And where did he get the answer? From Ralph Epperson in Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, he did. So he sent me some donation and he said, apparently the mum, you could read this.
0: Okay, apparently the Mong people were also fighting the Viet Cong in their country. It appears, uh, by his chest full of medals, that he must have been an officer in their army. This is what he wrote.
1: Oh, I see. I, I'm sorry. I had to print it out. I'll just flip through this because we did. Okay, now we're up to date. <laughs>
0: I can hardly describe how thankful I I was by receiving his letter and seeing how he was going to make it available to all sorts of people. I wrote back and thanked him.
1: Now, this is a little commercial, but it's also a lesson. What's this? I've seen
0: that book. I've read that book, The Unseen Hand.
1: Is that right? But what what is he doing? He's teaching somebody, He's teaching
0: He's te- his son. Oh, boy! Yeah, this is what I uh, hope fathers do with their children. This little guy is a little young for, but the father is doing the right thing, educating his son.
1: Would you agree with
0: that? Amen, I'd agree yeah, with that.
1: Get busy and start talking, telling your sons the truth. This is one of the ways you can know the truth. Mr. Q said he couldn't find an answer for 39 years, and he was in the war. and a general That's right.
0: Okay. Now, to understand the Vietnamese War, we must go back to the beginning. World War II was fought between two, over the years of 1941 1945, And in this part of the world, called Southeast Asia, it was fought between the Japanese and the United States. The Vietnamese War was fought between the years 1965 and 1975. The government of North Vietnam and the guerrilla army known as the Viet Cong Cong, uh, fought against the South, Vietnamese, and the United States so there was about 20 years between the two wars
1: by the way forgive me i typed jet long it's, you'll see that over and over mm-hmm. again that's I okay one at a time probably not get it all so right. please me.
0: Okay. oh that's okay i can i can translate okay during world war ii the japanese were occupying the area and as the war was drawing to a close they started withdrawing their troops to japan back to Japan. And they left the area. As they left the area, they abandoned the war, uh, make war-making materials,
1: tons of war-making materials.
0: Okay, uh, these weapons, ammunition, food, supplies, medicine, etc., were gathered up by the Office of Strategic Services, abbreviated as the OSS, and they were turned and they turned them over to. Uh, Ho Chi Minh, the leader of the guerrilla army later called the Viet Cong. Uh, excuse me, please.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah,
0: okay. okay. All right. Okay. Uh, the American government knew that um, Ho had been educated in Moscow, in communist Russia, and they had been uh, had, and he had been exiled to France, uh, where in uh, 1920 he became the first Vietnamese to join the French Communist Party. I didn't know that.
1: Huh. Oh, I wonder why. Um, in
0: 1930, he organized the Indochinese Communist Party. In, and in 1941, he created the Communist-dominated Viet Cong. All of his background was known to the government of the United States prior to World War II. Wow.
1: Why would we turn all that stuff over to a communist when we knew he was a communist? Why? Why?
0: Let's find out. Uh, this is the book entitled uh, Strange Ground Americans in Vietnam, 1945 to 1975 by Harry Maurer. Uh He quotes Kenneth Landon, a State Department officer who met Ho Chi Minh in 1946. Uh, he was a good communist
1: quote
0: okay i had the i had no doubt excuse me that if he dominated the political scene he would be a communist he would excuse me it would be a communist country uh the story Mm -hmm. was confirmed uh in the parade magazine article that appeared in 1973 Entitled, who has a intelligence agent for the United States was an intelligence agent. Uh, that means, excuse me, that means he uh, worked for the American taxpayers. Holy wow!
1: God. That's a good. Idea. This is a good way to start a war: is arm your
0: enemy. Yeah, you're not kidding. Um, the position that the United States was uh, supporting this comm- communist in the planning of a major revolution and a war in Vietnam was confirmed by this uh, Parade magazine article in June of 1982. Parade wrote that the American General Philip uh, Gallagher arrived in Vietnam in the summer of 1945 and established a warm rapport with Ho. Oh,
1: hey, Ho baby.
0: Howdy Ho. We're
1: gonna play a little game then we watch your support.
0: Yeah. Man. Uh this is the book Yep. You know, this is the book entitled A Bright Shining Lie by Neil Sheehan who told us um, who, another, who did, another uh of these Americans who assisted the communist O Chi Minh was he says on this page
1: right.
0: Yeah now we're Reading. Okay. Uh, after the entry of the United States into the war, World War II, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Lucian Conian uh, joined the Office of Strategic Services, the forerunner of the Central Intelligence Agency. Yeah, the OSS. Mm-hmm. He had landed in the area by parachute in 1945. Uh, Harold Moore wrote this in his book. The mission of the OSS was to
1: train. Uh, uh,
0: was to train. Excuse me, uh, guerrilla mid force. Thank you, Ralph. Okay. So the message was very clear. The United States government had backing of ho chi minh yeah, let me try something ralph i want to make this into a bigger picture okay oh, it didn't work move from scene okay there
1: oh wait a minute you just increased the whole picture my picture to full size the thing now is twice as big can you hear me oh now see what we got the picture on the left hand side oh God, don't tell me I don't want to. On the left hand side of this, can you see you can see the picture, David. I cannot see you anymore. You're gone. So I'll click on this. And there then it, I can
0: and then I can do this. How's that? I'm real tiny okay. and over here.
1: Okay, now is it is it the same size as it was?
0: Yeah, you're the same size as you were. So the message was very clear. The United States government was backing Ho Chi Minh in a communist revolution and ultimately in a war in Vietnam. Eight years later, in 1963, Dwight Eisenhower became president of the United States. Um, He started uh, sending American military advisors to Vietnam. And that's 1953, by the way. I said 1963. Okay, these men were not in Vietnam to fight the Viet Cong, they were to train the Army of the South Vietnamese to fight the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese Army, and the North Vietnamese Army. And in 1960, the American people elected John Kennedy as President of the United States. This is much better, Ralph, this size. I can read this a lot easier. Okay. Sometime later, President Kennedy learned of the plans of the CIA to create a war in Vietnam and he planned on making the complete withdrawal of all american troops in vietnam after he re, after his reelection in 1964
1: no, which never t- happened Kennedy's <laughs> saying i don't want to go
0: to war yeah uh the fact that president kennedy planned on withdrawing the troops has been confirmed by at least six different sources i'd like to discuss 3 of those 6 okay, this reading,
1: is us skip this uh, i just to save time because i'm going I, there are six and i'll just tell you who they are so okay i sure i probably met. okay
0: so president kennedy was committed to getting america out of the war it hadn't even started but in november 22nd of 1963 president kennedy traveled to dallas texas and was assassinated this is uh the los angeles times edition of the november 23rd 1963 the morning after the assassination. And the reason uh, they conspired to assassinate the president was because he wanted to end the war that had been planned since at least 1945. And to start the process of the withdrawal of the troops from Vietnam, President Kennedy issued National Security Action Memorandum No. 263 dated October 11, 1963, about six weeks before the assassination. Uh, The memorandum specifically ordered the withdrawal of 1,000 of the 16,500 troops initially. Upon the death of President Kennedy, Vice President Lyndon Johnson became the President of the United States. Um, One could logically conclude that the reason President Kennedy was assassinated was because he was wanting to end the war that had been planned by the government of the United States at least 16 years before, and that President uh, Johnson wanted to carry out those plans.
1: Could that be the reason he was assassinated? Yes.
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, during the campaign, before the war started, President Johnson was promising the American people, quote, "We don't want to we don't want our American boys to do the fighting for Asian boys. We don't want to get tied down in a land war in Asia." So Johnson was making three promises with those statements: one, no American would be fighting the Asian boys. two, there would be no land war in Asia, and three, we would not get tied up in any war in Vietnam. The next thing that happened occurred in in August 1964 by an accident known as the Gulf of Tonkin Incident. The American people were told that two of the North Vietnamese patrol boats fired on two American destroyers in the Gulf of Tonkin uh, the body of water just east of North Vietnam. But the interesting thing is that the attack never took place. US News and World Report carried an article in their July 23, 1984 edition entitled, The Phantom Battle That Led to War. Wow. On the night of August 4th, 1964, The Maddox and another destroyer, the Turner Joy, the Turner Joy radioed that uh, they were under attack at least three North Vietnamese PT boats. Um, This is this is in a book entitled In Love and War, written by Admiral Jim Stockdale at the time of a squadron leader at the time of squadron leader in the aircraft carrier also near the Gulf of Tonkin. Uh, He heard the report and was the first American pilot uh, over the area where the destroyers were, and he heard the matic frantically report that the ship was under attack by three PT boats and that torpedoes were in the water engaging the enemy with my main battery. Finally, for those of you who have the ability to get the Internet, Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara admits that in a on a three-minute and 34-second clip available on YouTube entitled Gulf of Tonkin, McNamara admits it didn't happen.
1: Do you understand? Once again, we had to... Okay.
0: Uh, I do. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, there, and this is the reason the media went with the story that our destroyers had been attacked. This comes from the U.S. News and World Report article. Uh, press, article, press stories from leaks uh, from U.S. officials suggest that McNamara's 1964 testimony about the Gulf of Tonkin incidents was at least incomplete and at worst, part of an elaborate, if improbable, conspiracy.
1: I would doubt, I, mean, I believe that the person who type that on the liberal side, I, they bit his tongue to say the word conspiracy.
0: Yeah, right. See
1: that's what they're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Two days later, after the alleged attack, President Johnson asked Congress to pass the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, giving him the permission to use retaliatory force against North, North Vietnamese. The resolution was passed. um 416 to nothing in the House and eighty and 88 to 2 in the Senate and Johnson signed the resolution and we were at war with Vietnam that had been planned by the by a conspiracy behind the American government in at least 1945
1: the war was planned in 1945 but didn't start until 1964
0: it's like yeah. a, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, huh? Yes. Uh, the military advisors in Vietnam laid down their clipboards, and grabbed their rifles, all because of an event that simply did not happen. So I asked the question. Uh, so I asked the question in a three-hour um, V.S. lecture that I had produced in 1992. Why did the conspiracy stage a phony attack? Uh, Please remember that we were, or that we, the people, had voted for Lyndon Johnson, the, the peace candidate, in the election of 1964. And in fact, as I said, he promised us that we would not go to war in Vietnam. And we elected him because he did not want the war, so we had to be tricked into it.
1: Isn't that interesting? Just like we learned a couple of weeks, months ago, Pearl Harbor was the same situation.
0: Exactly. And we don't. We, were, tend to, we tend not to learn from our own mistakes, Ralph. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. So they they staged a, a a fake incident so that we would support the war. Their war plans, made at least in nineteen forty five but staging an incident to get the American, America into the war that we American people did not want it is, not, it is not a new idea. Uh, it's been tried at least two times before. And the understanding, and to understand that event, we need to go back to 1923 when Army General Billy Mitchell was ordered to sail uh, for Pearl Harbor to inspect the defenses of the island this is a book written about uh written about the general <laughs> entitled general billy mitchell published in 1952 by roger burlingame i like how you cite sources ralph i love it Thank you. on page 100 he reports the general inspected the island and projected an imaginary war in which japan would attack and submitted a report to the commander of the army on the island he, he understood the vulnerability of the unprotected ships at harbor, or at anchor. Nothing was done in shoring up the weakness that the general saw. The next step in the plan was for the attack occurring in 1932, when the United States conducted a naval exercise on Pearl Harbor. They staged an attack on the harbor from the north on the harbor itself. I gotta ask you a question when, in, in, after this next page. Um, and it showed that the island was vulnerable from the north, from the sea, and the inv- oh, okay, you just answered my question. They invited the Japanese Admiralty to come and watch the attack. Simply stated, the reason that they invited the Japanese Admiralty was to, co- to come to Pearl Harbor was to see that if they ever wanted to attack Pearl Harbor, they should do it from the north by air. <laughs>
1: Isn't that, that,
0: that answers my question, Ralph. <laughs> we,
1: we, we left the door open somehow. It's
0: and okay showed it. them how to do it.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: And then the American government did nothing to shore up its defenses on the north side of the island. Japanese spies on the island kept uh, Japan informed about the fact that America did nothing to improve the defenses on the northern side. Good golly. And the final examination uh, at the Japanese Naval Academy after, after 1932 was to plant an attack on Pearl Harbor. This part of the evidence was provided on page 20 of the December 6, 1981 Parade Magazine article on the attack. The President uh, and President Franklin Roosevelt was speaking at the Peace at. As the peace president, well, this sounds familiar. On October twenty third, nineteen thirty five, he said, "It shall be my earnest effort to keep this country unentangled from any possibility of war that might occur uh, across the seas." Well,
1: it's just like uh, like uh, the guy who it's, it,
0: it's like Johnson was his bastard child or something. It's a,
1: it's a, they're both Democrats, by the way.
0: Yeah. Right. And later in October, that account, uh, excuse me, yes, there we go, straighten it out a little bit. And later in October, 1943, about 14 months prior to Pearl Harbor, he said, and I shall say it again and again, your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign wars.
1: Would you say that later on he was proven to be a liar?
0: Yes, very much so.
1: Oh, I'll be darned.
0: So he was saying these things all uh, all the time. He and his administration were working to provoke Japan into attacking American forces, because he knew the lesson learned in World War One: provoke an incident so horrible that the American people will get angry enough to allow the planners to fight the war they had planned. My goodness.
1: Have we ever seen this picture before?
0: Yeah, it's the Arizona turning over before it sank.
1: Is this a ship in the in the harbor being attacked by Japanese? By the yes Japanese? it is. Uh-huh. Uh, and it sunk it. By the way, just this another picture. I, I don't know where I got this founded, but it was a I thought it shows that the airplanes were under attack as well. So we we didn't it was not just the ships. Pearl Harbor was also an attack of our airplanes.
0: Yeah. Uh huh.
1: There's an airfield down there, and they got Hickam Field. Uh, yeah thank you.
0: Uh huh. Um, I would like to bring uh, to your attention two circumstances that should cause anyone to question. First of all, uh, there were nine battleships in the harbor at Pearl Harbor, and seven of them were tied together in two rows of three, uh, and four, three and four ships. Excuse me. Uh, the two rows were tied side by side, and uh, from from the front of the ship to the back of the ship, in front of it. Okay, I get you. Yeah,
1: that's okay. Here's a picture. This was a, a, the Japanese flying, and uh, in the in the top part where it says uh, the white says uh, those are that's called battleship row. There they are tied uh-huh. up together. And I made a, a, a illustration to show you what they what it was like forgive me but this is just an attempt to show you that here you got six of them in other words, if you want to destroy six battleships all you do is start at this end and just keep bombing bombing bomb 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 more uh-huh. to bomb 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 and you could get most of them blown up if you were had successful
0: all right um and this was a dangerous situation the japanese fighters who had bombed uh who had bombs to drop, could start at one end and drop their bombs one at a time into each ship until all had been targeted. This was a careless oversight, one that should have never been permitted.
1: It was an oversight. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. And the second condition is that the battleships were given an inspection on Saturday, December 6th, the day before the Japanese attack. I knew a survivor of Pearl Harbor attack who was assigned to service on the battleship, uh, the Oklahoma. He told me he and many of his fellow sailors were given shore leave on Saturday, which means they were not on board any of their ships. The majority of the crews of all the ships in the port were given short time, so they were not on board. Uh, when uh, a ship inspection is conducted by high ranking officers, the bulkhead doors under the water line are open before the inspection. They should have been closed after the officers had passed through them, but they were not closed even after the officers had completed their inspection.
1: I'll be doing another one of these <laughs> Yeah
0: yeah
1: it's by coincidence
0: yeah uh the Japanese um had underwater torpedoes and they were um <clears throat> fired Hi. at several yeah they were fired at several of the battleships if one exploded on the hull, it would open up a hole that would let water rush through going to to the end from one end to the other of the ship and they and there were excuse me and there... They would nearby. fill the whole of the shup, ship, okay. Um, this would sink it, and several of the battleships were damaged because the bulkhead doors had not been closed.
1: I'll be darned, just a careless little mistake.
0: There are no coincidences.
1: Oh, right.
0: Um, I will leave it to you to ponder these conditions and ask the question, were these unintentional omissions or intentional sabotage? I choose B on that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, on December the 8th, President Roosevelt asked Congress for a declaration of war against Japan. He called the attack a day of infamy. But someone but somehow he failed to mention that he had assisted in the planning of the attack to get us into the war that the people did not want.
1: The war was planned
0: in 1920. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I was truly, it truly was a day of infamy, and an infamy that Roosevelt provoked the attack on Pearl Harbor. What was it called? A day of infamy.
1: Who was it? Who was causing the infamy? Planting President the-
0: Roosevelt. Oh. Okay. So once again... This was a stage event intended to provoke the American people to anger so that they would accept a declaration of war against Japan. Sure seems that way and sure was that way. Uh, He made a statement when he was questioned by one of the nine committees investigating the Pearl Harbor attack in spite of the risk of uh, in letting the Japanese fire the first shot. Uh, We realized that in order to have a full support of the American people It was desirable to make the Japanese be the ones that to do this So that there would be remain no doubt in anyone's mind as to who were the aggressors
1: This was written by the Secretary of War to Roosevelt in, in one, apparently they left the trail to show you that there was conspiracy kill, planning this thing and so it's only one guy and and the secretary 47 generals and admirals they didn't know and then Roosevelt. <laughs> this is the truth
0: the question was how should we maneuver them into firing the first shot without allowing too much danger to ourselves
1: secretary of war
0: Several years ago, I found a copy of the top half of the front page of the Hilo Hawaii Tribune Herald newspaper with its headline of Japan may strike over the weekend. (laughs) That's amazing. And there it is. The Hilo uh, Tribune Herald, Japan may strike over the weekend.
1: If you could read it, it's, it's the Sunday before the December 7th, which means November 30th or something, I don't know. Right, the, the week before. before the right. What does the headline say?
0: Japan may strike over the weekend.
1: Did they say it was going to attack uh, uh, Tampa, Florida? No. No. It might have attacked say, Pearl Harbor.
0: mm mm-hmm. The newspaper was dated November 30th, 1941 the Sunday before the next weekend, Saturday the 6th and Sunday the 7th of December. So they were warning Hawaii that a Japanese attack could be coming the next weekend.
1: It's a delusion. So, you now, for yeah, people... So, we tried to warn
0: you. Hmm. So the question should be asked, how come the newspaper knew that Japan was going to strike the following weekend but President Roosevelt did not know. I would hazard a guess that President Roosevelt's intelligence sources were greater than those of the newspaper. Yeah, did you would think. That's
1: think. Yeah, that's
0: yeah. but Roosevelt was never changed, uh, but Roosevelt was never charged uh, for what he did to provoke Japan into attacking Pearl Harbor, and no one wondered why Uh, These nine congressional investigators did not charge the president with a dereliction of duty, as was done twice by the Senate in the United States. The next uh, comment should explain exactly why the planners could sacrifice the lives of Americans in the events that they had planned. They considered their goal to be of worldwide significance and, uh, and in their minds their goals were worthy of the effort. Only a psychopath would think like that. <laughs> um, so the Japanese attacked the Navy and the uh, Air Force at Pearl Harbor with the following results. Four battleships sunk, four battleships damaged, 2,345 military killed uh, now, I would like to explain how Franklin Roosevelt could know that the attack was yet coming, yet he did not nothing to warrant Pearl Harbor.
1: No one has ever hinted at this, except that guy in Arizona known as that crazy. That Rudy.
0: scoundrel Ralph Epperson?
1: Scoundrel Ralph Epperson. Yeah. Wait, just This is going to make a great deal of sense.
0: Okay. And I have the answer. This is coming right from Ralph Epperson. Franklin Roosevelt was a 32nd degree Mason, and because he
1: uh, and it became
0: and it became his religion. Thank you. Masons are taught that the ends to just that ends justify the means, meaning that whether they deem to be appropriate, even if though it was harmful, they can pursue it. In fact, they can actually. Permit the sacrificing of innocent people in the case in this case the army and Navy personnel He, um, he here is the permission uh, continued this be contained in perhaps the greatest Masonic book ever written entitled Morals and Dogma Written by Albert Pike, the leader of the worldwide Masonic movement from 1839 to 1891. The quote is found on page 833. It's not true that one man, however little, must not be sacrificed to another, however great, to to a majority or to all men. Uh, That is a fallacy. But a most dangerous one. Often uh, one man and many men must be sacrificed in the ordinary sense of the word to the interests of the many.
1: What? Did you, did you understand what he just said?
0: He just said the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yes. Um, a, dic- a dictionary defines the word sacrifice as an offering to a deity. And the deity of Albert Pike's religion is Lucifer, the Light Bearer, uh, page 321 of Morals and Dogma. Lucifer is another name for Satan, the devil.
1: So he was doing exactly as the dictionary defined, sacrificing innocent people for the, it's the cause of the deity. And his deity was Lucifer, Satan, right. the devil. Franklin Delano Roosevelt.
0: Okay. So Franklin Roosevelt was sacrificing 2,345 sailors and airplane pilots um, and their crew to Lucifer in the ordinary sense of the word. Yep. So in summary, the conspirators wanted a war in Vietnam, and the American people didn't. So they staged a phony event. The Gulf of Tonkin incident did not happen. They tricked us. Um, we would now, excuse me, we would now get tied down in the land war in Asia, but the planters had another problem. Vietnam was a largely agrarian economy; about eighty percent of the people lived on farms. They had no war-making technology. They had no missiles, no radar, no tanks, no jet aircraft, and no rifles. But these planners wanted a 20th century, 20th century war. Uh, there were only two ma- major countries that had missiles, radar, tanks, jets, aircraft, and, uh, and rifles. Uh, Russia and the United States, I'm assuming.
1: Uh,
0: and Then the United States would supply communist Russia in other words, the United States supplied both sides of the war. This is a cartoon that appeared in a Dallas uh, newspaper, sometimes during the Vietnam War. The entire cartoon shows this trade rather domestically. Dramatically. Dramatically, Dramatically sorry.
1: Okay. We'll
0: um, the upper right-hand corner shows the smiling Uncle Sam carrying trade to the smiling officer in the Russian military, who in turn... Pipelines it it down to the North Vietnamese. And out of the pipeline comes rations, medicine, rifles, pistols, hand grenades, and machine guns.
1: Wait a minute. We were supplying the Russians with the ability to kill American soldiers when they were supplying? You can't prove that, Ralph. Oh, no, I can't. You're right. I'm going to. Uh,
0: This is Anthony Sutton. Who has written at least six books on the subject of this and uh, trade being sent to Russia, uh, included, excuse me, including this book entitled "National Suicide: America's Military Aid to the Soviet Union," published in 1973. These are prof- Professor Sutton's conclusions. Uh, there is no such thing as Soviet technology. Let me repeat that almost all perhaps so uh, perhaps 90 to 95% came from the United States and its NATO allies
1: wait a minute
0: my goodness
1: Could that be true
0: as i said it was known by the american government that about 80% of the war making technology sent to the north vietnamese came from the soviet union So, candidate Nixon was specifically addressed in the Soviet Union, and as I said, Nixon won the election in 1968. And to answer, down a little, Ralph, please, Uh, and to answer the resounding, (laughs) no, and the answer is the resounding no. The Export Control Act of 1949 provides the president with the authority to prohibit exports from the United States for any and all of these reasons. Number one, foreign policy. Number two, short supply. And number three, national security.
1: Notice? Okay, I think it's
0: going to say it. I'll let it say it. We were at war with with North Vietnam although it was not declared by Congress according to the Constitution. Um, So President Nixon could prohibit exports to Communist Russia and claim it was in the interest of national security because he had the power to do so. wow!
1: Read this first little paragraph twice if you will,
0: David. I certainly will. Notice that the President alone has this power. He does not need to go to Congress. He does not need to go to the people. And again, notice that the president alone has this power. He does not need to go to the Congress. He does not need to go to the people. He has the power by himself. All presidents have had that power since 1949. So therefore, President Nixon could deliver on the promise made by candidate Nixon and the Republican Party platform. He promised us that he would not provide aid to the Soviet Union during the war. We can now determine if he did deliver on that promise. The Department of Commerce prints a quarterly report called export control. This cover cover is from the quarter of 1969. Notice that since this is a quarterly report, it only covers three months of that, of one year. Okay, 80th quarterly report, third quarter of 1969, export control. Uh, By the Secretary of Commerce to the President the Senate and the House of Representatives.
1: Did you see anything here about and Ralph Epperson? No. no. How come I have copies and congressmen don't have the copies? I guess I guess they were busy that day they distributed them.
0: No, <laughs> probably, huh? By the way, I read all these reports at the University of Arizona um, several years ago. I would like to use the report for the third quarter of 1971 a year and a half before the war ended for specific reasons that specific reasons that I will explain in a few minutes Nixon was still president in 1971 and the Americans were still dying in Vietnam
1: uh, oh, on, I oh here it is I'm sorry I put the green cover on it uh, for the, the, the trucks and parts that's the reason I want to talk about this one
0: okay export control and I'm assuming that says given to the president and uh, the, yeah
1: same old thing, right? uh-huh. let's open it up and read it third quarter of 1971 this is they list the product oh my goodness I, I don't <laughs> And you can't please i understand small print you and I'm gonna read the ones underlined, but notice there's a bunch of I think it's on this this side over here that it's like
0: you highlighted yeah, it,
1: yeah, yeah, and they're just they list they don't tell who they who stole the good, but they say how much dollar value in it, so let's read what we sent.
0: Okay, page 11 is the report, lists uh, the commodity, yeah, commodities license for export to Eastern European destinations in the third quarter of
1: 1971. Well, I, I say here's the page, I just showed you a page. Okay.
0: But- uh, this is the copy that, of that page, it lists the products sent to the Russian government. On the bottom third of the list on the left and all of the right side. I would like to discuss um, eight of these goods sent to Russia just uh, in just one quarter alone when President Nixon knew that the Russians were supplying at least 80 percent of the war making technology to North Vietnam. We sent Russia Polyvinyl uh, uh, a sy- synthetic rubber used in bulletproof proofing glass. Apparently, the North Vietnamese drivers of the Russian tanks were getting shot, so they needed a bulletproof glass to equip their tanks.
1: So where did they get that <laughs> from? Who, 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 who,
0: Ultimately, who that? from the United States.
1: <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Uh, ethyl anti-knock uh, compounds. This product is used in gasoline to reduce engine knocks. 170 million dollars worth of electrical computers, parts and accessories, which was a lot of money back in 1971. Oh, you yeah, uh, Parts for rolling mills. And as I understand it, rolling mills make steel. Uh-huh, they roll steel. And ball and roller bearings. This is one of the most strategic items. we sold them. You cannot roll a tank. You cannot roll a tank. Uh, Move an armored personnel carrier, rotate a radar system, or fire a missile without ball and roller bearings. Russia supplied tanks, armored personnel carriers, radar, and missiles to North Vietnam, and we sent ball and and roller bearings to Russia. We sent Russia $4 million worth of oil and uh, gas-filled product equipment, we sent Russia the latest techno- technology on improving their gas production facilities. These are people that were supposed to be our enemies.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, apparently, the Russian gasoline octane wasn't high enough. Um, airborne uh, navigation equipment, or airborne, excuse me, and navigation equipment and parts. Apparently, the Russian planes were carrying uh, were crashing into the mountains in Vietnam so we sent them the latest technology on better navigation equipment
1: oh boy hold on
0: man and lastly this was the reason i selected this report to use we sent communist russia 17 million dollars worth of truck and engine parts this uh this is a map of vietnam and you will see red arrows Showing you where the road was utilized for moving goods from North Vietnam into South Vietnam to kill Americans in South Vietnam called the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Communist Russia was supplying trucks to the north to North Vietnam so that they could move these supplies, and American pilots were assigned the task of destroying these trucks to reduce the inflow or excuse me to reduce the inflow of war-making technology and soldiers into the South. Russia must have been uh, losing a great number of their trucks, so they called their wholesaler the United States and ordered some more, and their wholesaler sold them new supply. US News and World Report had an article in their January 30th, 1967 issue that stated that the North Vietnamese war machine runs almost entirely on Russian oil. In the past 18 months, the Russians shipped uh, in uh, 300,000 tons. Wow. In December of 1966, the Soviets shipped nearly 25,000 metric tons of gasoline and oil into Haiphong uh, and the United States sent Russian oil Russia oil and gas field production equipment. Wow. On page 19 of this third quarter of 1969 report, U.S. Department of Commerce listed the technical data exported to Russia during this one quarter, presumably uh, the patents, copyrights, or blueprints of such things. Um, an An iron and steel foundry flexible printed circuits, maybe for missiles uh, or computers. An American Ship Russia, the technical data for the latest technology from the distillation of petroleum. I have heard from pilots in Vietnam that uh, that there was a standard oil refinery in Haiphong Operating all operating all the time during the entirety of the war. That's scary. Maybe this technology was being sent into the Standard Oil refinery located there. I don't know this. The port of Haiphong was off limits to Americans, uh, American bombers, during the entirety of the war.
1: Yeah, we can't have you blowing up that. Term. A standard oil refinery in Haifa. Yeah,
0: because that's owned by David Rockefeller. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, in in 1969, the Report Control Bulletin reported that Americans sold Russia 7 million pounds of tungsten. Uh, tungsten is used in making armor plate steel for tanks and armored personnel carriers. I would like to give you at least two evidences of the fact that the American government did know. Uh, Congressman H.R. Gross of Iowa introduced an amendment to the foreign aid bill in November of 1967 to prohibit America, American foreign aid and grants to nations uh, which traded with North Vietnam. The bill was defeated by Congress. Of course it was. Uh, what was wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. Uh, that is a perfect, uh, perfectly normal constitutional and rational position. But Congress didn't uh, agree, and they defeated the amendment. Um, in 1969, Congressman Earl uh, Langrebe, Uh, proposed an amendment to the Export Control Act of 1949 which read, no commodities, military or otherwise, shall be authorized for shipment to any foreign national which sells oil furnishes or or furnishes uh, to North Vietnam, any equipment, materials or commodities. In other words, if you help your enemy, we will not help you. What is wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. If a perfectly moral, constitutional and... Excuse me. It is a perfectly moral, constitutional and rational position. But the amendment was defeated in Congress. Of course it was. I would like to give you another example of how American technology was used to kill Americans. This is um, this is Peter Stark, a former uh, Green, Green Beret, yeah, Green Beret sergeant in Vietnam. He came to Portland in 1970 as part of a nationwide speaking tour, in which he discussed uh, his involvement in the war. This is part of what he went on and said: in 1966, after the war started in 1965. Uh the United States sent the Soviet Union the specifications to glycerol plant. Glycerol is used in manufacturing of explosives.
1: Uh, What is that last sentence?
0: Glycerol is used in the manufacture of explosives. Okay. Specifically in Vietnam, glycerol was used as a detonator in booby traps. Uh, they were made in communist China.
1: China?
0: Uh, yeah. Russia. Oh, Russia, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're communist Russia. Okay. The glycerol can, uh, down a little, Ralph. Oh, it consists of two parts. Glycerol is the top part, and the next uh, is the bottom part. We'll this are all the TNT that is. Yeah,
1: are all the top and the bottom part is TNT, and this is the right. book of booby traps. But the, I want to just talk about booby traps.
0: Okay, in um uh, the Vietnamese would dig a hole, bury the landmine, and then cover it with a thin layer of dirt. A soldier would come walking through the area and would not see the booby trap, and step on it. Uh, this would cause the glycerol on the top to explode down, causing the TNT to explode down and then enter and slow uh, down and then the entire thing, uh, including the shattered metal casing to come back up, either blowing off the arms and legs of the person who stepped on it or killing or killing the person. Uh, Sergeant Stark then told us just how important these landmines were in Vietnam.
1: Let read this one twice as well.
0: He said, over 50% of all American casualties suffered in Vietnam have come from booby traps. I repeat, over 50% of all American casualties suffered in Vietnam come from booby traps.
1: Who supplied the material to to build
0: them? The Americans to the Russians, Yeah.
1: yeah. Isn't that interesting?
0: Yeah. Uh, this is once again a close-up of Sergeant Peter Stark, retired U.S. Army. The picture does not show, but he is seated in a wheelchair because he stepped on a booby trap. He gave his speech on crutches. Um, who blew off his legs? Was it the North Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, the Russians? You left out one group <laughs> no it was the government of the united states for exporting the specifications for a glyceride plant during the vietnamese war
1: would you understand what i did what peter stark just told us
0: yeah it's it's sad it's tragic i would like um, i would like now to start the explanation as to why all these things happen Just uh, what was the purpose of the Vietnamese War? Why did this conspiracy, uh, why did this conspiracy plan the war at least in in at least 1945? This is a picture of uh, Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of England during World War II giving his famous V for victory sign. Show us
1: that sign, John and David. It was like this. Yes, v for, v for what? Victory. Victory, okay. Okay.
0: He used it to rally the English people during the war so that they would support his efforts to win uh, victory in World War II. But there were people talking about victory in Vietnam. Um, this, there, this is a flyer announcing A movie to be shown in Portland Oregon when I lived there in 1971 the picture in the lower left is that of John Wayne the movie star the moderator of the movie that featured political leaders military officers and even a couple of people from the media presenting uh, presenting this case or the case for a victory in Vietnam excuse me
1: yeah John Wayne stood up tall for that buddy
0: yeah The victory is not an opinion and those who called for one were uh, generally not heard. Uh, These, excuse me, there were an average, these were the average Americans uh, who were speaking about ending the aid and trade between America and Communist Russia. And with that cessation of all trade with the Russians, uh, give the American fighting man a victory so that there would be peace in uh, that nation hey Ralph hold on just one second would you please yes I just got to get something to drink that's all
1: Uh,
0: and some in uh, some in America decided that uh, one way to achieve victory in Vietnam was to do just that Cut off the supplies of the enemy, um, cut off the supplies from the enemy, and the war would wither, and, it's in, and on its own weight. And they reasoned that the way to accomplish this was to make the sale of um, war-making technology to the communist Russian government, or ending it. Uh, so they started a nationwide petition drive to get Congress to do exactly that between the years 1967 and 1971. Uh, this, partic- this particular petition uh, was issued during, the, during phase two of the drive started in 1970. The committee that started the drive was called SHAME, S-H-A-M-E, which st- stood for Stop helping our Marxist enemies. <laughs> I like it. These people collected more than 4 million signatures, reportedly the largest position, pe- petition drive in the history of the United States. The signatures were collected in groups of 10,000 and then delivered to the president and the Congress of the United States. Uh, This is a list of the congressmen and senators who were given signed copies of the petition between May 14th of 1968 and June 29th of 1970, when the total of signatures totaled about 1.7 million. So who was it who conducted the drive? Was it the VFW, Uh, the uh, Democratic Party, the Republican
1: Party? I guess I don't have the page, but it okay. was the John Birch Society.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, they were oh, well that
1: known. Grumper. But they were trying to stop the aid and trade, and they were the bad guys. And notice they got 4 million signatures in groups of 10,000, and they were just ignored. That's yeah. Just a
0: yeah, like everything else gets ignored. That's good. <laughs> I say this in response. I say that. I say that those who supported this sale of technology were murderers. Next, I would like to explain how the American government intentionally frustrated the efforts of the soldiers and airmen in the war. Um, He gets frustrated and he grieves over the loss of six of his men.
1: Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, there must be somebody that did that. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I took that little segment out, but I forgot to take that paragraph. But it was just a short. I'm trying to point out that the American fighting men were getting frustrated by the stupid war.
0: Right.
1: Here we go. Now we're back.
0: Uh, fragging stands for fragmentation, meaning that you take a hand grenade, pull the pin, and then throw it into your officer, uh, at your officer. Um, as a way of protesting the stupidity of the war. Fragging was the intentional murder of your officer by fragging him with a grenade because the war did not make sense. Wow. I remember reading about that. Uh, The act was actually a result of the soldier's overall frustration at the entire war was being fought. Wikipedia on the internet says that uh, they have documented 230 such cases but as many as uh, fourteen hundred other officers' deaths could be could uh, not be explained. Okay, Harry Moore, on page six sixteen of his book entitled *Strange Ground*, defines fragging as a fragmentation hand grenade, and. Uh, in the verb and as a verb excuse me uh the action of trying to kill a superior officer and then he says this about fragging on page 161 of his book fragging became an occupational hazard for officers
1: can you believe that our old men were killing their options the stupid war didn't make sense
0: yeah Today, a kind romance still attaches to fragging, the notion that soldiers took uh, righteous revenge on their prosecutors. This was not a joke. It simply did not make sense. So the question became, was it planned not to make sense? And the unqualified answer is yes. Yeah, I agree. President Johnson emphasized that, quote, it is our national policy to keep this conflict at the lowest possible level of intensity for humanitarian as well as political reasons, end quote. So we were going to wage a war for humanitarian purposes, end quote. And... 58,000, 58,000, 58,000 Americans died. So with that understanding, it is now time to finish the truth about Vietnam, America's betrayal and treason. End of part one. Okay.
1: take me a second to get... Oh, David, you promised us that you would not try to sing during these moments of uh, uh, looking for some records. Please, David, don't do that. Don't Tell even,
0: me David. why <laughs> <when> <laughs> there are clouds
1: of <laughs> <up laughs> the sky,
0: <laughs> stormy weather.
1: <laughs> this is called stormy weather. <laughs> I don't know
0: why you think I have a terrible voice. I can't understand. By the way, kudos to my wife who brought me a nice cold glass of water.
1: Oh, good for her. Yes. yes. She deserves it because, you know, you're very kind. You give me the chance to do this. and Do under. you know, there must be an easier way to do this. And we're, we're not technicians. We're trying to save a country. And That's right. That not, we get involved with wars when there's no reason to get involved with them. We're always tricked.
0: And we're doing it with as lowest technology as possible. <laughs> okay. It is my contention that the civilian planners inside the American government actually planned on frustrating the American fighting men for a reason that has not been made known to the American people. I'm going to act as a prosecutor by presenting the evidence that a major crime was committed by some powerful and influential people in the American government. Bring it on, Ralph. Lastly, I am going to charge these planners with a crime of first-degree premeditated murder. Once again, once again. Uh, Lastly, I'm going to charge these planners with a crime of first-degree premeditated murder. Let me start by discussing how the academic world and the media work together with the government to make certain that the war was not won. I immediately think of... Cronkite. Let me ask you this. What sort of reaction would the soldiers in Vietnam have when they see a daily picture in the media, amen, of that? And they are told that a typical American response to the war uh, in Vietnam, a process march to make them believe it is typical response to war. what would you what would this do to uh, morale and, and of the american fighting man if he believes that this is the typical response of the american people i think it would lead him to frustration thinking that if the american people did not support the war why did, did the government send him there yeah i think there would be two words to describe his reaction frustration and delusion a disillusion excuse me and what I am saying and I am saying that this was by actual design of the conspiracy and all this happened during the entire entirety of the war because there was another goal of the war itself
1: oh yes get your seat belts on gang
0: So, the only conclusion you can draw from all this evidence is that the United States government committed this nation to a war they did not want to win but wanted to prolong, and it succeeded in the deaths of millions of people.
1: Not even Hmong people were directly involved.
0: The next question to be answered is this one Why did America fight the war in Vietnam? Why did the planners kill President John F. Kennedy? Why did America supply communist Russia with war-making technology all the time of the war? Why did America, uh, why did America place obstacles in the way of her fighting men? And lastly, why did America prolong it for 10 years?
1: Hold on. Drugs.
0: The reason we fought the war in Vietnam, drugs beat it? Drugs. Drugs. Yeah.
1: What have drugs got to do with the... Uh, get on, but tug on your seatbelt, people. Here we go.
0: The purpose of the war in Vietnam was to create a drug culture in America. And the reason they selected Vietnam for this war was because drugs were plentiful in that area of the world. The planners knew that American soldiers would make a good living compared to the Vietnamese and they could buy low-cost drugs. And the American fighting man would turn to drugs as a way to deal with the frustration of not being able to win a war that did not make sense. Wow, that's pretty wise. Uh, why did the planners want to create a drug culture in the United States? simply because Communist China needed American dollars.
1: Okay, I'm going to ask you to sit on a jury. I'm going to prosecute the case. Just
0: okay. up
1: until the very end.
0: Okay. They needed American dollars because they needed to buy American war-making technology, uh, land in America, American businesses, and our bonds uh, exhibiting, our, exhibiting our debt. Yeah.
1: And money for the Bidens.
0: Yeah. And how were they going to do, uh, to make, uh, excuse me, how were they going to pay for their purchases? By selling the only product that they had that was in large quantities, but America was not a market for this product before the war in Vietnam. So, in one sentence, the conspirators needed to create a market in America so that we could buy it so that they could pay for for it with american dollars so that communist china could buy war making technology for from america let me start by showing you that america's america started selling technology to communist china around the presidency of ronald reagan ooh! ooh. on june the, 20, uh, the 12th 1981, President Ronald Reagan signed a presidential document called Presidential Determination No. 84-11. This is a copy of it. In the red part, I hereby find the furnishings of defense articles and services to the government of China will strengthen the security of the United States and promote world peace. Uh, He couldn't have been that stupid. In 1983, Casper Weinberger, Secretary of Defense of the United States, uh, in President Reagan's administration, visited Communist China. That is him on the Great Wall of China. The article headline reads, Most Technology to Open, Weinberger Tells China.
1: Now we're going to build A Chinese enemy we built Russia with a with the technology now we're going to build the technology for China
0: yeah on January the 15th 1986 the Los Angeles Times told the American people just what the Chinese were buying in the way of defense articles Uh, remote control deck guns uh, gas turbine engines Sonar equipment, torpedoes.
1: Those are defensive, but they're only defensive.
0: Right. The communist Chinese system cannot feed their people and we are not selling them foodstuffs like rice. We are selling them deck guns and torpedoes. uh, We are selling them articles that could be used in a time of war. Uh, Now the question, what are they selling us to get dollars to buy technology? And the answer is heroin. Again? Heroin, H-E-R-O-I-N, the big H. This is a map of communist China that shows in yellow the 9 million acres where the Chinese grow the poppies that are later processed into heroin. This map partially explains why the Chinese cannot grow enough food to feed their own people. 9 million acres for the poppies and 15 million acres for food production. That's sad. Yeah,
1: they're using... They're using good, good growing land to grow poppies instead of rice, and their people are starving. But that's okay. That's okay.
0: Yeah, because the end justifies the means, right? Sure. Uh, Cho and Lai, uh confirmed that Communist China was uh, in the drug trade in 1965 during the war in Vietnam. The more troops the U.S. sends to Vietnam, the happier we shall be. Oh, huh. I would now like to show you that the evidence that the government of the United States knows that this very money is being used to buy drugs from communist China. This is once again Colonel Bo Gritz, who, who excuse me, you will notice that he has a, a chest full of medals because he was a heavily decorated Vietnam veteran. He has a story to tell that is extremely pertinent to the story that I am relating during this presentation. In 1989, Colonel Gritz came to Tucson and spoke to a group that I belong to. He told us about the trip he took to Burma in 1986 at the specific request of the United States government. There he is, huh? Uh, Bo is Gritz.
1: Man, <laughs> oh man,
0: he's got a lot of medals. Uh, He wrote about this trip in his second book entitled a nation betrayed He reported that President George Bush the uh, the father had received a report that a man named uh, Koon saw in Burma had information on three American prisoners of war in the jungles of Burma And Bo was asked to go into the area to meet with him to discuss how he could bring these POWs back to America. Bose said he was told that if he learned Kun Sa was the head of a 5 million people called the Shwan or Shan,
1: okay, that
0: they lived in the corner of Burma, Vietnam and a communist China shown here in the blue loop. These people were not a formal nation because they did not care about national borders. They just live in the jungle. So Bo went to Burma in 1986 and met with Khun Shah, Kun sa. Uh, This is a picture of them as they met and talked in uh, Khun sa's uh, jungle headquarters. Khun sa told Bo that he had no knowledge about any POWs in his area but that Bo was free to travel anywhere in his territory and if he found any he was free to take them with him. Bo did that but could not find evidence of any prisoners of war uh, in Coonsaw's territory. But Coonsaw had something more important that he wanted to tell Bo. He reported that he and the San people were in the drug business. He admitted that they started selling drugs in 1950. Kun Sa told him that he received the raw poppies grown in communist China and they refined them into opium and heroin. They discussed just how much opium and heroin that he produces. He told Bo that it was 900 tons in 1986, and later on Bo learned that it was 1,200 tons in 1988, 2,200 tons in 1989, and 3,200 tons in 1991. Production just keeps going up, doesn't it? He told uh, Bo that he sold the heroin for $1,500 a pound. Just how much money did he, would he collect for the sale of 3,200 tons? Obviously unimaginable amounts of money. Uh, Coonsaw admitted that the Shan people grow and refine only about one-third of the total but that they control all but a trickle through the, through their area this is a picture of some of the Shan people growing some of the poppies used to make heroin and opium. Okay, and remember, folks, this is a condensed version, okay? Yes, thank uh, you. Uh, Kun Sa has a 40,000-man 4, army, and Bo said he considered them to be an excellent one, well-trained and equipped. Kun Sa admitted that he operated 12 refineries uh, scattered throughout the jungles near the border of Thailand and and Burma. Uh, but the amazing thing he told Bo was that he wanted to get out of the drug business. He wanted to stop growing, refining, and moving tons of heroin and opium through the area, through his area. He wanted the American government to provide the Shan people with an alternative crop of business. He wanted to feed his people with something other than drug money. He told Bo that Kunsaw's area is rich in teakwood, rubies, gold, and jade, but that he needed American assistance in marketing any of or all of uh, these products. But was elated. He wrote, "I was certain our government would be excited about Kufsan's offer, uh, but that couldn't have been more wrong." Uh, there was a war against drugs being waged in America to stop the use of uh, the use of drugs by some of the American people, and he was. And here was an offer to stop. All the opium and heroin coming from coming into America. Uh Saw told Colonel Gritz that he would be willing to name three buyers of the drugs to assist uh, to assist the United States and knowing um, that he was sincere in his offer. I got a feeling Koon Saw didn't live very much longer after this.
1: Oh. Um, as far as I, I don't know. I can't say. <laughs> The first can...
0: individ, <laughs> yeah, the first individual was Santos Trafficate, the mafia chief in Miami, Florida. You would expect the mafia to be involved in the drug business, so th- the name came as no surprise to me. But the next two names shocked me. Buckle up, America. I'm ready. The second name was Theodore Shackley, CIA deputy director for covert operations. The CAA was buying drugs in collusion with the Mafia. And the third man was Richard Armitage, Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Affairs. On January 17, 1989, Mr. Armitage was awarded the Citizens Medal by President Ronald Reagan.
1: Do you understand? This drug dealer gets honored by our conservative Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Good for you.
0: Yeah. The award uh, recognizes citizens whom, quote, have performed exemplary deeds of service for their country or their fellow citizens, unquote. The exemplary service Mr. Armitage displayed was he. Served its country well by making certain the heroin was probably stored away um, on the Air America airplanes which were being flown to Hawaii where their contacts would be transferred or contents would be transferred to larger jet planes for flight to the United States. You do your job well as a drug dealer and you get awarded a citizen's medal.
1: What else can you say? Isn't that true?
0: Well, you get a Nobel Prize for doing nothing, too. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um, source Arizona Daily Star, January 18th, 1989, page A6. Uh, Kun Saw was saying that the American government and mafia were partners in the drug business.
1: What? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, come I could on. read that
0: again if you want.
1: <laughs> you want me to read it again? That's
0: yeah, read it? it again. Yeah, might as well shout it from the rooftops. Kun saw was saying that the American government and mafia were partners in the drug business. My gosh. Uh, Bo brought uh, home a total of four, uh, 44 hours of taped interviews with Kun Saw and his assistants, and the paper signed by them indicating that they wanted out of the drug business he turned those papers and tapes over to the United States government and to the Congress in December of 1986. He was told by Tom uh, Tom Harvey, uh, the National Security Administration staff assistant, that there is no interest here in doing that, meaning they, meaning that the American government had no interest in stopping the importation of heroin drugs into this nation. Kind of hard to fight the war on drugs when the people that are fighting it are the ones that are selling it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was expected. Kusan's warning Beau that George Bush is not likely to support our plan. Too many of his associates were involved in the drug business.
1: Oh, I don't believe that. How would Coonsaugh
0: know that? Uh, If this statement is true, where was George Bush from January 1976 to January of 1977? He was the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, but you say that he did not know that the CIA was buying drugs? Uh, When Caspar Weinberger left the Secretary of Defense at the end of the Reagan administration, he was quoted as saying, if you don't know what's, what is going on in your department, you shouldn't be in charge. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and to show, uh, to show you that George Bush should have known, U.S. News and World Report uh, called him one of the best directors that the CIA ever had. That means he must have known. Uh, good directors know what their departments are doing and George Bush was one of the best
1: There's Netflix
0: I'm glad that guy's dead. Sorry to say that but um, All this evidence presented so far says that the United States government is the biggest drug dealer in the world repeat George, all the evidence presented so far says that the United States government is the biggest drug dealer in the world and George Bush doesn't know that I would I would know excuse me I would now like to return to this nation's war on drugs and how it affects our present and also our future the government's war on drugs was replacing was replacing cocaine with the preferred drug heroin and I started saying back this back in the ni- mid-1980s and that poses the second question why was heroin the drug of choice and the answer is to keep the dollars flowing into communist China. Finally on June the 19th 1991 the Tucson Citizen newspaper reported uh, heroin making comeback, low prices large supply. Spur sales, that sounds like an advertisement! So drug users were using heroin instead of cocaine. And I repeat, the end result is more dollars to Communist China. So let me repeat, America's drug war was intended to ship the drug use from cocaine to heroin. In other words, there was no war on heroin. And that was to continue the transfer of American dollars to Communist China so that they could buy American technology. Boy, it's a vicious circle, isn't it? Um, I would next like to tell you another story and I must must admit that I have no way of checking it out. I have no intelligence gathering network to confirm the story. But I did meet with an individual that talked to, and talked to him and asked him pertinent questions and I am convinced that um, what he told me is true uh, from the sample reason it for the simple reason it all fits uh, reason it fits all the materials I have been able to check out so I will just report the story as he related it to me I will not name the individual to protect his privacy. In 1989, when, Gr- when Bo Gritz went to, uh, came to Tucson, excuse me, to speak to the club I was a, number, a member of, a young man in his combat fatigues from the days of the American Air, from his days in the American Air Force came and stood at the back right beside me. After Bo had concluded his remarks, he said rather loudly, Bo, I can confirm what you've been telling these people today about America being in Southeast Asia. And I worked at the um, Utapau Airfield in Thailand between 1966 and 1974 versus an employee of the CIA. Front Corporation and then as a member of the Air Force. For eight years I loaded the heroin off of the mules that came from Saw, and loaded them onto the Air America airplanes for shipment to the United States. I had never heard of Air America Airlines in 1989 but later in 1991. I took these photographs of two of their airplanes in Tucson waiting for some reconditioned work on the runway. Notice that the words on the side do not say American Airlines. They say Air America. Here is some additional evidence that might be telling the truth. There is a movie entitled Air America that was produced in August of 1990, starring, starring Mel Gibson. The headline reads in its entirety: "Air America crashes in the nasty emptiness." Meaning the uh, reviewer, excuse me, meaning the reviewer didn't like the movie. The review of the movie said this. They, meaning Air America, transports heroin to finance CAA operations. So I asked the young man if he would mind telling me the rest of his story, and he agreed, so we met privately later on that afternoon.
1: Now notice this. The reviews of Mel Gibson's movie were negative. Why? Because he was revealing a truth.
0: Exactly.
1: Air America in the heroin business.
0: Uh-huh. He told me that in about 1970, he and his fellow workers were told that an American congressman had landed in one of the Air, one of Air America's airplanes, and they went over to see it. Who it was? The congressman tells me. Uh, the congressman, excuse me, was in the uh, co-pilot seat, and was uh, George, was George Herbert Walker Bush, a future president of the United States.
1: Do you understand? George Bush is there on the grounds of the Utapau Air Force. It's not an air force base. It's just a runway. I've got a picture of it there to show you. I found it on the internet.
0: Uh huh.
1: There he was when he was a pilot in the Air Force, uh, Army Air Force during World War Two. Right. So he could as the co-pilot in this airplane, in case the the pilot got a heart attack, George should be able to get the plane land, so they let him fly along, and then these eight guys got to talk to George Bush.
0: Wow. There was one more thing that I have to address about George, George Herbert Walker Bush, and that he may be a 33rd degree Mason. This is the highest degree in Masonry, and is only available by invitation Of other 33rd degree Masons. It is a custom in America that the President of the United States throws out the first baseball at the beginning of the baseball year and here's a picture of the President George Herper Walker Bush doing just that.
1: Okay, hold on to your seats there Troopers.
0: That's him. What's the number on his sleeve? Thirty-three. Oh, wait a minute. Oh boy, that's revealing. What was the team, do you know? What's that? Well who's the baseball team? I don't know. Almost looks like a Yankee uniform. Uh, you will notice that he's wearing a jacket showing the number thirty-three. Now there are ninety-nine numbers available from one to ninety-nine. So only, there's only one number 33.
1: That's one in a hundred. And George Bush, just by coincidence, found number 33.
0: Right? <laughs> found number 33.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Now let me return to my narrative about President Bush. He had acted as the co-pilot on the Air America airplane, and it was being loaded with heroin so that it could be flown to Hawaii where the Americ where the heroin would be transferred to a larger jet. It is, it is impossible that he did not know the plane was loaded with heroin. He had to know that the, that was why he flew the CIA airplane into Burma. The Air Force serviceman said that he and the other plane loaders had lunch with Bush that day. So now we know that President George uh, Bush knew all about America being directly involved in the drug business since at least he was a congressman back in 1970. Let me know, let me now bring you one more story. It seems to confirm all of what these people are saying about involvement in Vietnam. Okay, in 1990, I gave a version of this speech in Long Beach, California. After I was concluded, after I concluded my remarks, a man in the audience stood up and said he could confirm that some of the details mentioned in my lecture. He said that one of the best friends, a major in the United States Army, came back from Vietnam and told him that part of his job during the war was to take American money to Burma and to give it to the drug sellers. Once again, you have to decide for yourself about the truth of all these stories as uh, as a jury member. In other words, and I repeat myself, The war on drugs is a fraud. Now it is time to tell what I consider to be the most important part of this entire war scenario in Vietnam. I would like you to know that I personally believe this story to be true. Um, Every general in wartime knows that you can win a war by cutting off the supplies of your enemy. And Norm Davis and Nord Davis knew that as well, and it was commonly known in America that eighty uh, percent of North Vietnam's war-making supplies were coming through um, only one deep-water port: the port of Hai Phong. Uh, March eighth, nineteen seventy-two, Richard Nixon announced the plans to end the war in Vietnam. The bloody war was coming to an end, but, was it, it, but it is an interesting question as to why he chose that particular day. Uh, I think we're are we still in within the two
1: hours. Can I? Yeah, we're I getting kind I, of we're getting
0: kind of close, but yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: okay I, I probably think we can probably finish it in 15 minutes okay we're good
0: uh, the end of the war was announced on the very day that these 15, these three Patriots had planned to sink the dredge if, uh, if the government of the United States did not do so so President Nixon knew of Davis's plans and he could not let him end the war himself Now, it was not Richard Nixon who ended the war, neither was it Henry Kissinger, Secretary of the State, uh, neither was, uh, was it Congress, neither was it the media, neither was it the anti-war protesters.
1: It was...
0: Nord Davis. This
1: Nord? Is the, this is the little man should have statues built all over this nation for what he did, as we're going to detail as briefly as I can.
0: Okay. I do not know Mr. Davis learned these details, but the port is fed by a very muddy river called the Red River, and the North Vietnamese authorities knew that they had to keep the port as deep as possible, and they brought in a dredge that operated um, 724 365 to keep the port from filling up. Mr. Davis learned about the dredge in the port of Haiphong in 1971 and decided that it was the key to victory in Vietnam. He decided to conduct a private war against the dredge since the government would not do so. He decided to sink the dredge and end the war in Vietnam. It raises $100,000, excuse me, he raised $100,000 and offered it as payment to any American pilot who would sink it himself. He printed up thousands of these uh, flyers and had them delivered um, to Amer- America Air Force bases in Vietnam. Uh, I th- it told the pilot that if he would sink the dredge, uh, then we'd be able to prove it with photographs he would receive the 100000 in cash. Mr. Davis said that the hundreds of pilots called him uh, for further information. He told me that, he told them that all of them could end the war and that they could go home early, earlier if they would just sink it. And the typical response was uh, that the port of Haiphong was not on the approved target list.
1: I wonder why.
0: And in fact, it was specifically off limits to all fl- any flyovers. And if he sank the dredge, he would violate the rules of engagement. And if he did that, uh, he would be subject to a court-martial. And if he was court-martialed, Um, He would lose his pension, and if he lost his pension, he would have no future. Hit him in the pocketbook. And Mr. Davis then explained that if you sank the dredge, it would end the war, and countless lives of American fighting men would be saved. And hundreds of uh, pilots stated that it was not enough money. And if I find this response to be, and I find this response to be absolutely incredible. These pilots refused to do what was right after they learned what the solution to the war in Vietnam was. Finally, December of 1971, a retired Army Colonel named Granville Rideout called Mr. Davis and asked if he would get the money, if he would sink the dredge. Colonel Rideout was a retired Vietnam veteran who spoke Vietnamese and he could get into Hai Phong and do as requested. Mr. Davis asked him how he could uh, sink the dredge and he explained that he would swim out to the dredge and plant time explosives that would sink it after he swam away. Mr. Davis said that he would gladly give him the $100,000 if he could prove that he sank the dredge. So Colonel Rideout went to Vietnam and got into North Vietnam and took the photograph of the actual dredge in the port of Haiphong. He returned to North Carolina and told Mr. Davis what he had learned. Rideout then explained that the only way it could be sunk was by bombing it. Uh, Nord explained that uh, Nord explained that he had tried that approach and that no American pilot was willing to assume the task of sinking the dredge. The colonel then told Mr. Davis that he knew uh, two uh, B-25 attack bombers were sitting in some airport in Taiwan, or Thailand, excuse me, The B-25 was a World War II low-level bomber, meaning it could be flown low to the ground to avoid radar detection. These two airplane pilots, excuse me, two airplanes had been given to Thailand uh, by the government of the United States to assist them in some sort of drug war and that he thought that they could be purchased at an auction. The colonel went uh, to the Thai government and purchase each of the two planes for $500 apiece. piece. Uh, Nord uh, Davis was shown uh, Nord Davis now owned an Air Force. Okay. <laughs> My eyes are getting kind of dry. Sorry, guy. <laughs> you
1: know, it's, it's no problem. Let's see if I can skip through this. The plan was to take the air, two airplanes, load them up and fly them one at a time out from where they were stationed, across the uh, uh, board, you know, from the old nation, and then uh-huh. go north and then off northwest into over Haiphong and drop the bombs on the on the, bomb, they bomb one bomb on the dredge. And then if they didn't sink it, they were in communication back with the second airplane and he was to try the same thing. So they had two airplanes, but they then could, couldn't get the bomb that was adequate for the job. It's called a 500 pounder, and uh-huh. if it got to a the third guy got involved, which was a friend of the colonel who was a retired three star general, Whoa. and a war and a war Vietnam general for years. He, he called his friend. and said, "Listen, we need two bombs at the airport," and he said. I'll, I'll call my friends in the in the Air Force that are in Vietnam with jets and airplanes. And so I'll get them to take them, tell me where they... And he called, and they said, no, we can't do that. It's across the border and in neutral state. We would get into trouble. And so that didn't work. Oh, man. Then the general came up with a different plan. Yeah. He said, why don't we bluff the government... Of Nixon, and force him to believe it's possible we could sink the dredge and would sink the dredge, and they'll do it instead.
0: Uh-huh.
1: so the the colonel wrote a letter. the general the colonel the general wrote a letter to Admiral John McCain, the father of our senator who was head of all the, uh, the naval ships in the Pacific Fleet during the Vietnamese War. And so he walked in with a letter from the general saying, Hi there, buddy. We're friends. We drink at the same bar at the Officers Club. Uh, We've got a little problem here. If you don't sink that dredge on uh, June, the 7th of May, we will do it. Well, who are wow. you? Uh, I'm, I'm right out, retired. Trust me, we could do it. So now he left. By the way, well, there's okay. He 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 left and came back to Nord. And we Nord knows that the admiral called Henry Kissinger and said, "I just had a visit by a colonel who said they're going to sink the dredge and I thought, oh no, they can't. No, we know. But they're tell me who the guy is." And according to Nord Davis, who had friends in the Pentagon. Kissinger called for the 201 file, or on it is, on the jet, the colonel, and read, and this is a guy who can do it because he had the background, the knowledge, and the courage to do it. Right. So he called Richard Nixon, and on May the 8th, 1972, Nixon dropped mines in the port of High Farm. In other words, he didn't didn't uh, uh, d- do it by sinking the Dredge. He did the next thing. Mm-hmm. In other words, he realized the game was over. Nor Davis had won a major right. victory. He ended a war that should have ended and not even been fought because the Dredge. The, the portify farm was discovered by the Pentagon Papers. I covered that thoroughly in the paper about, and they were, the threat was that if they, they, were, they couldn't do anything about the portify farm because if they did, the Russians would get angry and they'd join in and start killing Americans. And we didn't want them in the war in Vietnam. Right. But they were already there, weren't they? Transported uh-huh. from Nixon and Johnson as well.
0: Yeah, wow. My goodness! What a history! Listen, Ralph.
1: I've been trying to get that made into a movie, but I don't have any connections. Think about that. If we could get that movie made very inexpensively, we don't need to have bombs and and airplanes and forty-seven thousand people with a crew. You could do with a, you know, camera and a, a, a microphone. And yeah, stick. right. And you could get that out and tell the American people the truth about this second war.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: I don't know. I've tried.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I know you have. Yeah. Wow.
1: Well, if I may, I'll just tell you briefly a little bit about it. Uh, Since we got, well, we're running out of time.
0: Yeah, I got to end it off anyway. I got a family function I have to attend, so.
1: Well, let's see. Okay, these are all the lecture notes. It's about 10 pages, but then there's the finish. Who won the war in Vietnam?
0: Nor Davis, obviously.
1: America owes this very courageous and innovative American patriot an enormous debt of gratitude because the end of the war that probably was planned by the American government to go on for many more years. Yeah. You should have statues in every city in this nation. I agree. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. It would. I have been providing the American people with the evidence that since at least 1992, this guy here, that certain members of the American government intentionally and knowingly murdered 58,000 American fighting men and women in Vietnam and countless others in Laos, Vietnam, and Cambodia. And that is called...
0: First degree murder, premeditated,
1: yes. Do you believe that? I believe it with all my heart. we're going to supply the enemy with the things and not get them win the war we won't win the war with the dredge being shot down and we killed 58,000
0: yep I agree wow that's amazing
1: two more just real quick
0: I would suggest that you should watch the entire DVD because there's additional information there
1: now I'm going to end with this with all that depressing thing, let's
0: all smile. Just thought I'd send out a little smile.
1: That's <laughs> <Love> good. <laughs>
0: okay, my friend, we're gonna have to go. So, thank you, Ralph, so much for your your wonderful presentation, and uh, commend you for all your research that you've done. And well, uh,
1: it, it's accumulated That that last video that I mentioned is available on the internet. You can Google it and find it. Sit down and give your country four hours of your time That's and learn right. how we fight wars.
0: Exactly. Okay, my friend. I wish you an adios.
1: Thank you very much once again, David, for your help and assistance in this. And thank you. Anyone watching this, please start giving this some thought because we're praying wars when we don't have to.
0: That's right. Okay, Ralph, God bless. God bless. Thank you very much. Okay, bye.